9 and 10. Right? Woof, oi is the right word. Oi. But I love that they're doing so much and yet they're not slowing down, right? Pregnant with twins, and you see her with her only one-year-old right there in front of her lap, praising Jesus. I love it. And uh, I'll just say this really quick. I, I, I even question really quick, man, how do they have the time and energy to lead the entire David's tent, 50 states, and organize all that, and it's just them. It's not like they have this huge team. It's them. They're running that. They're running this whole prayer thing 24-7 and getting people to be there 24-7, running an entire YWAM uh, base. They're, 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 they're the directors. And then they have eight kids right now currently that they're homeschooling. So it's like, how do they have time? And yet Jason travels and speaks and writes a book. And I'm actually three-fourths of the way through his book. And uh, if you haven't, um, don't even know he has a book, I encourage you to Google it, uh, David's Tent. You'll find it by da- um, Jason Hershey. And um, three-fourths of the way through that. And I already knew I loved these guys. I, I knew we grew up with Kimberly in high school, so we've known them for a long time. Um, but Jason, as I'm reading the book, I'm realizing more and more Man, I love this guy. I love his heart because he's full of the joy of the Lord. And I just explained all the things they're doing. Some of us, sometimes we get weary and I feel like I'm doing half of what they're doing and I get weary. But remember that scripture says, the joy of the Lord gives us strength. It's not my joy. It's the joy of the Lord. And we're gonna be talking about that this morning about our need to celebrate, our need to rejoice. Um, Today, Palm Sunday, we're gonna look at that. So, um, Let's jump in. Let's jump in, uh, read, read a passage. Um, Matthew chapter 21, all four gospels talk about the triumphant entry, um, but we'll read this one really quick. Matthew 21, starting at verse seven. Easy if you wanna take notes, 21, 7, 11. Those things stick out to me, 7, 11. Matthew 21, seven through 11. says this, they brought the donkey and the colt to him and threw their garments over the colt and he sat on it. Most of the crowd spread their garments on the road ahead of him and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Jesus was in the center of the procession and the people all around him were shouting, praise God for the son of David. Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Praise God in highest heaven. The entire city of Jerusalem was in an uproar as he entered. Who is this, they asked. And the crowds replied, it's Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Amen, we'll stop there. Jesus, right? Jesus. When people are asking, how do you have the joy of the Lord? Jesus, man. It's just Jesus. The whole city was in an uproar and figuring out what is going on. All the political rulers, people that weren't followers of Jesus, they, it was contagious. It says that it was almost, it, historians don't know this for a fact, but it was causing a tremor, earthquake. The ground was actually shaking from everyone jumping up and down, dancing, celebrating, shouting. There was, it was an uproar. People are like, what is going on? This city was, was recognizing that something was happening. I'm believing that's prophetic as the church learns how to enter into Palm Sunday and learn how to usher in Jesus' second return, that we become so joy-filled, so full of rejoicing that it causes people to be stirred and say, what is going on? And our answer is Jesus. It's just Jesus, right? I love this story. And I love that it says they cut down palm branches. I just got to give a quick, quick shout out. Thank you, Northrop's and my dad for bringing these big palm branches everywhere to decorate. Oh, I love it. And thank you, um, Juan, uh, for bringing all the ones that we got to wave around. Um, so I love that our family just contributes and makes it an enjoyable experience for everybody. So throwing out that quick shout out. Um, I'm, this is, if you can't tell, this is one of my favorite Sundays. I love it. Um, I know Easter is supposed to be the highest of all of them, but this is just, it's getting me ready, right? Like getting me excited for Easter. Um, and so I love this story. People are celebrating Jesus. They're, they're laying down these palm branches. I told them to open up service 
Palm branches represent victory. They're recognizing that Jesus is the king. They're recognizing that he is, he's the Lord. They're submitting to him, his, his authority, his rulership. And so they're cutting down palm branches to recognize you are king, Jesus, you are king. And I don't wanna get too sidestep on this, but if you grow up in the church, I'm sure you've heard a sermon before about how the same crowd that was yelling, Hosanna and Jesus, you are our king, is the same crowd that on Friday was saying, crucify him. Some of these people were disillusioned. They thought that Jesus would save them from all their problems. Jesus would become the political ruler and overthrow Rome. And they had a, they had a wrong perspective of who Jesus was. They were rightfully proclaiming him king. They were doing the right thing to shout Hosanna. They were doing the right thing to celebrate, but they were a little confused on what Jesus was actually here to do. And my prayer is that none of us are confused that we're shouting Hosanna, we're celebrating with full knowledge of who Jesus really is. Jesus is not gonna be our president here in America, right? He's not gonna come save us with this, some Messiah to be our president. That's not what's gonna happen. I'm not praying for a Messiah president. That's not what I'm praying for. I am believing that Jesus already is the King of Kings, right? That every king will bow down to him. So this is not a political de declaration that he is spiritually over it all. He rules and reigns. And so I can celebrate, even if I'm going through a difficulty and I'm saying, God, save me from this problem. It does not matter if I'm still in the problem. I'm still gonna worship him as king. You are the king. Even if I'm in this valley, even if I'm in a difficult place, God, I will worship you. And you'll hear me, I say this, I know I repeat myself a lot, but I love that scripture repeats itself, right? Philippians 4.4, 4, 4, 4, right? Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, rejoice. It's this idea that we are continually over and over again supposed to practice the, the idea of rejoicing, of praising God, even when we don't feel like it. So I'll stop there really quick. I don't know if you've been reading scripture, if you've been following the Lord for more than a week, you'll recognize that God tells you to do things you don't feel like doing. <laughs> the longer you follow him, the more you'll recognize it over and over again. God tells you to do things you don't feel like doing. So I'll say this. Emotions, you'll see that I love emotions in my worship with the Lord. I love emotions in my relationship with God. But emotions make a horrible master. Yes. But they make a great servant. I'm not led by emotions. Romans 8 says, I'm led by the Spirit. As many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are children of God. I am Spirit-led. I tell my emotions what to do. I can feel one way. And my spirit man can say, why so downcast, O my soul? Put your hope in God and bless the Lord, O my soul. I can tell my emotions what to do. Emotions are not wrong unless they're leading you. They're wrong. You're not to be led by emotions. The heart is deceitfully wicked, right? Like it deceives you to think this is what you should do. It doesn't say in, in the world you're here, just follow your heart. Scripture says, don't ever follow your heart. Don't follow your heart. Follow the Lord. And yes, he'll give you the desires of your heart, but it's when you're submitted to him. It's when you are in relationship with him. It's when you're led by your spirit. There is, my heart matters. My emotion matters. But I've got to have the right position that my spirit man rules over my emotions. All right, so really quick. Uh, you've heard me share this before if you've been here long enough. You know that I don't listen to it very often now, but I used to listen to Dennis Prager. He's one of my favorite talk show hosts. I'm an old man with a gray beard, and I, list, I don't like listening to music as much as I like listening to talk radio. Um, and um, 
I love that prayer. I've not read the book. This one I haven't read, but I know it often because he quotes it, that he's written a book about happiness is a serious problem. And it sounds like a funny statement, right? But he goes into this idea that you and I, we have a moral obligation to be happy. We have a moral obligation to choose to put a smile on our face even if we don't feel like it. He's, and he gives the example. He says, all right, when you wake up in the morning, you naturally, it's just natural, you have bad breath. But you don't go around all day long spewing your bad breath. You do something about it. You brush your teeth. You make sure your breath is fresh. It's natural to have body odor. But we do something about it. We wash that off. We put deodorant on. I, as I got teenage boys in my house, I remind them, you stink. Go take a shower, right? Do something about the way you smell. Sometimes we have emotions that stink. And you have a moral obligation to do something about it. Put on a garment of praise for a spirit of heaviness. I feel heavy right now. I feel downcast. I feel like I need everyone else's pity. Do something about it. Put a smile on your face and you bring joy and happiness to somebody else. Don't be the victim. Don't wait for someone else to feel bad for you. It's time to put on the joy of the Lord. It's time to rejoice. This is the day he has made. I will rejoice. It's a choice. It's not because I feel like rejoicing. No, I tell myself, I will rejoice. I'm going to do this. So I had lots of different titles for this morning's sermon. I'm not going to title it. You get to title it however you want. Um, but I had a couple where it's like the discipline of rejoicing. It sounds like I rejoice when I'm glad. But actually, you need to discipline yourself to rejoice. You need to discipline yourself to be happy. Let's see if I can quote it without finding it. Um, Oswald Chambers, one of my favorite devotions, actually the number one devotional, my, my utmost for his highest. He says this, I'm paraphrasing because I'm not going to look it up, but it says something like this. It says, the Lord will not grant you a disciplined life. A disciplined life is entirely up to you. Now, we're not talking about correction discipline. The Lord disciplines those whom he loves. He corrects, like he'll confront me where I'm wrong. Praise God for that. But if I say, God, would you grant me a life where I spend two hours in prayer every day? Just, just give me that. He doesn't give me discipline. He says, that's entirely up to you, Ryan. If you want to have a disciplined life, it's in your hands. If you want to be joyful and to be glad, it's actually up to you. It's not your circumstances. It's not your emotions. You have to discipline yourself to be glad, to rejoice, to be happy, to put a smile on your face. I'll say this. Serious, stuffy, selfish people suck. <laughs> they suck the joy out of my life. I can be so happy and so glad about something. I have an idea and I go share it with them. And they're like, oh, yeah, well, what about this? And what about that? They just suck the life out of my idea. Serious, stuffy, selfish people, they suck. And too often I've been one of them. I've sucked the joy. I've watched it. I, I won't give you examples of my kids. They know. There's been times where I've sucked the joy out of my household. They were so happy about something, and I'm like, oh, we don't have the money for that. <sighs> Sucked up that idea. <laughs> or whatever it is, we don't have time for that. We're too busy. That happens a lot in my household. Too busy. 
Benjamin as a teenager, he's got lots of ideas. He wants to spend time like you don't drive yet. When you drive, you can go over there. I don't have time to take you to all these places. And some of that is practical. I get that. But do you understand when we're too serious, when we're too stuffy, when we're so self-absorbed, we suck joy out of our own lives. We suck the life out of other people. I love what Pastor Greg says. I've heard him say it before. Stop taking yourself so seriously. Because nobody else does. <laughs> right? Sometimes it is good and right to be serious in our relationship with God. To actually contemplate, what am I doing to discipline myself? What am I doing? And we're taking communion, hopefully by the end of service. If there's time, we'll see how it all fits. There's time where we need to be serious about our walk with the Lord. I get that. But there's times where we need to learn how to lighten up and actually enjoy the goodness of God. Have you tasted and seen how good he really is? So I said, Siri, I don't know how many S's I put in there. Serious, selfish, stuffy, stuck-up people suck. I'll say this. Silly celebrations stimulate. Sometimes I don't feel like being silly or celebrating. To me, what I read in Scripture is shout unto the Lord with a voice of triumph. I don't feel like shouting. That seems silly to me. Like I'm an educated man. I don't need to shout like a little kid. But sometimes a silly celebration, a small silly celebration stimulates something. I don't feel the joy of the Lord. But sometimes I tell myself, Ryan, just do something. Something small, something silly to celebrate the goodness of God. Shout, Jesus! And it does something with inside me. It, it, it primes a well. It does something primitive. I don't know. I, I remember, oh man, I, I don't know if I have it the authority or the granted permission, but we prayed over my son Benjamin when he became 12 years old, kind of like a coming into manhood. And as we prayed over him, we were laying hands on praying over him, we were praying in tongues. And he finally said, I feel like I need to pray in tongues. And so he said, sure, go for it. We all kind of took a step back. He's like, no, I need to get on a chair. Got a chair, he stood up on that chair. And like, kind of like, almost like a war cry. I don't know that he really physically beat his chest, but it kind of looked like Tarzan in my, my, my mind. And then he started... He starts shouting in tongues. I can't tell you how, I mean, just even right now, it's giving you that testimony, how proud I was of that 12-year-old boy. He gets it. It's a silly, small little celebration, but it stimulated manhood in him. It was this primitive manhood. Hear my roar. I'm no longer a little kid. I have the joy of the Lord. I've got the power of his strength in me. His joy gives me his strength. I'm not a puny little boy. There's something about stimulating these small little silly celebrations. They stimulate something. And I don't want to be stuck in a stuffy place. I don't want to be a church that we just do the routine, same silly things over again. No, I want to do a new thing. I want to sing a new song to the Lord. I want to shout. I want to dance. I want to get involved in what God is doing. And that's why I love Palm Sunday. Because there's little kids that are jumping up and down shouting Hosanna. And somehow the rest of us feel like, maybe I can do that too. Yes, maybe you should do that too. And I'm pointing right. I'm not like preaching at you. I'm preaching with you. Like I need this. I need to stimulate the joy of the Lord in me. Some of you, I'm telling you, you need to write that down. Small, silly celebrations will stimulate your joy. Amen. You feel depressed. And hear me, I'm not saying 
that this is the medicine for everything and there's no such thing as getting counsel or all the things that go on with, with dep clinical depression. But I'm telling you, what the Lord is saying today, the truth he's presenting to you, the medicine he's giving you today is, your depression is on you. You have the opportunity to put on a garment of praise. You have the ability with breath in your lungs to shout unto God with a voice of triumph. You have the ability to dance. Maybe not that great. But you have the ability to move your feet, to move your arms, to do something to stimulate your body moving in synchrony with what you want your spirit to do. I will bless the Lord. I will dance. I will sing. I will shout. I will do something to celebrate Jesus because he's worthy. Amen. Regardless of how I feel, regardless of the circumstance, he's worthy. And I want him to know that's what I think of him. Jesus, you're worthy. You can have it all. You can have everything in me. You can have all my energy, all my joy, all my emotions. I give them to you, God. Amen. I lay them at your feet. I will do something. Oh, man, this is good. I need to preach this to myself this morning. This is good. So we read Matthew. Let's read John. So there's not actually a lot of stories that are in all four Gospels. If you didn't know Sunday School Trivia, the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they copy each other a whole lot. Same details, same story, little bit of little twists, but it's pretty much the same. Synoptic, meaning they're in synergy. John, he's on his own, right? He kind of does his own, beats to a different drum, does his own thing. But John actually talks about the triumphal entry as well. So we'll read this one. This is John 12, 12. It says this. The next day, the news that Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem swept through the massive crowds gathered for the feast. So they took palm branches and went out to meet him. Everyone was shouting. Did you hear that? Everyone. Not just the extroverts. Not just those that were having good, a good day. Everyone was shouting. This is for everyone. Everyone was shouting, Lord, be our Savior. Blessed is the one who comes to, come to us, sent from Yahweh, the King of Israel. Then Jesus found a young donkey and rode on it to fulfill what was prophesied. People of Zion, have no fear. Look, it's your King coming to you, riding on a young donkey. Now Jesus' disciples didn't fully understand the importance of what was taking place. But after he was raised and exalted into glory, they understood how Jesus fulfilled all the prophecies in the scriptures that were written about him. All the eyewitnesses of the miracles Jesus performed when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead kept spreading the news about Jesus to everyone. The news of this miracle, Lazarus being raised from the dead, of resurrection, caused the crowds to swell at great numbers. A great numbers of people welcomed him into the city with joy. But the Pharisees were disturbed by this and said to each other, we won't be able to stop this. The whole world is going to run after him. Is that a great prophetic word coming out of a, out of a, a religious guy who doesn't like Jesus? We can't stop this. The whole world is going after Jesus. What if that was a prophetic declaration over the church today? That as we became so joy-filled, so celebratory, so exalting Jesus... That the religious, I mean the political and people that, I don't know, they can't stand Jesus. They're saying, what are we going to do? The church is on fire. The church is so celebratory. It's so contagious with joy. There's nothing we can do to stop this. What if that was the devil saying that? Look at Osborne Neighborhood Church. 
How are we going to stop this little church in Arlita? They're exploding with the joy of the Lord. They're celebrating Jesus over the top. How can we stop them? The world's going to go follow them what they're doing. Praise God. Amen. Oh, man. So good. And I love what John does, right? As I said, John beats a different drum. He's already telling you, interjecting in the story. Jesus was fulfilling prophecy after prophecy after prophecy. What he was doing in that, that triumphal entry, it was tons of prophecies. I don't have time to go on all of them, but I want to read one of them. Zephaniah chapter 3, verse... Uh, yeah, let's do 17. Zephaniah 3, 17 says this. I might have different translation up there, but it's good for you to hear both. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. I'll read it in that translation. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. And one more, no. He will exalt over you with loud singing. All right, I want to sit on this one for a second. Is Jesus in our midst? He came, he's coming again, but he's still here. Is Jesus... Mighty to save. Yes. Is Jesus your king? Yes. All right. So it says these three things. Because he's in your midst, because he's mighty to save, because he's your king, it says that he will rejoice over you with gladness. We need to know this and have this deeply settled in this. Jesus takes great pleasure in you. He finds joy in you. He looks... I don't know what to tell you. I got four kids. There's times when they were infants, they were laying in, sleeping, doing zero, just breathing, just existing. And my joy was filling up. Just looking at that child, like, that's my kid. That's mine. That is my DNA. They have my last name. I can see my long nose starting to form, like, whatever it is, right? Like, that's my kid. They did nothing, but they just, they brought joy into my life. You need to know you bring pleasure to Jesus. Regardless of what you have done or haven't done, he rejoices over you. And I love that it's sandwiched. Then there's the next thing. He will quiet you with his love. You'll find rest or strength in his embrace, in his warm, still embrace, in his love, in his tenderness, in his peace, Right? I wrote this down. In peaceful silence, his love will flood your soul with rest and strength. That's my translation of that phrase based off of, I read all the Hebrew and all the different translations of those different Hebrew words. And that's how, that's the Ryan translation of that verse. In peaceful silence, his love will flood your soul with rest and strength. There's times that I need that more than anything. I've been running around, doing all kinds of things. I'm, I'm burnt out. I'm exhausted. I'm spent. Whatever word you want to put in there. I'm drained. And I need a peaceful silence. Talking about the Hershey's, right, with 10 kids, doing all these different things. Sometimes you just need a moment of silence to yourself. Ugh. I can remember when my four kids were all in diapers, and I would go to work on Monday morning and go to AT&T, 
and there would be a conference call at 8 o'clock in the morning, and I'd jump on that call. I'm like, good morning, everybody. They're like, Ryan, what's wrong with you? Why are you so happy at 8 o'clock in the morning on a Monday morning? I'm like, guys, you have no idea. I'm in my work truck all by myself. Oh, man, this is going to be a great day. Sometimes this introvert just needs some silence and solitude. I just need it. I know, if you know Pastor Larry, he gets his strength, he's an extrovert. He gets his strength on Sunday mornings, being around everybody. Oh, he gets, his tank gets filled up. For me, I'm just being honest with you, Sundays at the end of the day, I'm like, whew, that was a lot of work because I'm more of an introvert. So it takes energy out of me to be around a lot of people. Sometimes all of us, we just need his quiet love. Sometimes, I just need to be with my wife and not be doing and taking care of things. I just need time alone with her. Sometimes more is said in silence than me rattling off all the things that happened today and all the things and talking really fast to her. Just being quiet for a moment. Oh, it feels good to be with her. We need the quietness and the stillness and that embrace from Jesus. But I love that it's sandwiched with the beginning that he rejoices over us with gladness. And then the third one, right? What's it sandwiched with? He will rejoice over you with singing or he will exult over you with shouts and dancing. Yeah. This, this word rejoicing in the first, the first beginning of the verse and the end, they're different Hebrew words. The second rejoicing, it talks about a violent expression of emotion. That's how it's translated in that Hebrew word. A violent expression of emotion. So it gets, it talks about circular. He twirls and dances over you. He's so excited. It's not like this warm cuddle, like, oh, I love this kid. It's like over the top, like, I don't know, one of my kids does something that's over beyond. My kids are playing sports right now. And I don't know, last week, Benjamin scored a goal in lacrosse where it, to me, this is the dad, I don't care what the score was, might have been 14 to 6, we won. But his goal was the best goal because he ran from a distance and he hit somebody and he twirled, Lily. He did twirls as he was getting past people and shot this goal away between the goalie's legs. You better believe this dad who was recording, you can hear the audio, I'm supposed to be careful what I'm saying. I was like, whose boy is that? I was like, yes! Go Benjamin, that's the best goal ever. I'm excited, I'm jumping up and down, I'm celebrating. It's not the same as when he was an infant in a crib sleeping, and I'm like, oh, he just brings joy into my life. No, now I'm, I'm crazy. Everyone, public display of dad's celebration, right? This is God over you. There's times where it's just you and him, and he's telling you, you bring me so much pleasure. And there's times he's expressing it to you and you're feeling the warmth of his embrace. But you also need to know he is an emotional God. As I just said, sometimes I made it sound like emotions are negative and bad. But where do our emotions come from? From God. We're created in his image. He is an emotional God. He has such extreme emotions over you where the way he celebrates would embarrass you. I don't know how else to say this, but my mom, she's not here. Hi, mom, online. I know she's watching. She embarrassed, I remember in high school, she would embarrass my friends. I grew up with her, so by the time I was in high school, every embarrassed bone in my body was already gone, right? <laughs> like, when I was, just give you an example. When I was in college, during Valentine's Day, my dorm room was right at the end of the hall, big glass window where everyone walks by. So when I showed up back from my first class, 
don't know how she did it, but she had plastered all over this big glass window. I love Ryan with big hearts. Boxers taped to the window with hearts on them. Like things you should not do as a mom to a college student. All over the place. I'm like, that's my mom. All these kids, people, people laughing, snickering, like, who's Ryan? They you know, being in the school, they don't even know who Ryan is. They're just laughing. I'm like, you can't even make me blush at this point. My mom just embarrasses me all the time. Some of you need to get used to being embarrassed by God. The way he celebrates in heaven over you would make you blush. I don't know, even reading a difficult story like Job. Did you read the beginning of Job? He's bragging about Job to the rest of all the angels. Angels and demons, because the devil's there too. Don't ask me to explain all that. But they're all there. And God is like, oh man, have you seen Job? Oh, I love that guy. He serves me. He follows me. He blesses me. He's going on and on bragging about Job. This is how God talks about you. Can I say it this way? His celebration over you puts whatever you could do to celebrate him to shame. If you ever feel embarrassed to dance before the Lord, can I tell you, he's dancing over you in ways you can never even imagine. If you feel intimidated to shout Jesus, he's shouting your name with lungs that are way bigger than your lungs. We've got to learn how to get a little more exuberant, a little more rowdy, a little more celebratory. I don't know if you read the Bible, God loves celebrations. Where did Jesus perform his first miracle? At a wedding, celebrating. After they got married, they were celebrating. Performed a miracle there. Read the Old Testament. He commanded them to celebrate. Make this an annual festival. The Jews, I'm telling you, I still think I've been to Israel. I've been to the Western Wall. I've seen rabbis dressed in the entire Jewish garb with the, the black hats and the Hasidic, uh, what do you call those things? The curls right here. I've seen them put the Christian church to shame in their celebration. On their way celebrating festivals, on their way to the Western Wall where it's called the Wailing Wall. You're supposed to be weeping that they don't have their temple and yet they still know how to celebrate even though their temple's not on the Temple Mount. They still are going crazy, dancing, shouting. I'm telling you, I saw old men, I didn't even know if they could walk, and they were dancing and twirling. I'm like, someone will catch them. Like, but they don't care. The church needs to learn how to get a little more celebratory, and I'm pointing here. I, I shared it during early morning prayer. Because my wife did dance all through, I don't know, grade school, high school, she was in the dance team. There was a dance team here at, at Osborne. She led that dance team. I used to say, I'm not a dancer. My wife's the dancer. I'm going to stop saying that. I am a dancer. I might not be nearly as good as her, but I am a dancer. I'm a shouter. I'm a celebratory person. I don't know how you'll say that. I'm someone who's going to celebrate. Cheerleader. Yes. But as we're talking about who God is, that's in verse 17. Let's scoop back. Let's read more. Let's go back to verse 14 and then read through 17. So this is Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 14. It says this, a command. Shout for joy, daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, Israel. Rejoice and triumph with all your heart, daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away his judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies. 
The king of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You will no longer fear disaster. On that day it will be said to Jerusalem, do not be afraid, Zion. Do not let your hands fall limp. The Lord your God is in your midst, a victorious warrior. He will rejoice over you with joy. He will be quiet in his love. He will rejoice over you with shouts of joy. I love hearing that whole context because it's not just God in heaven who's rejoicing and celebrating and dancing. The command is, who does it first? Daughters of Jerusalem, Jerusalem, all of Israel. You and I, we are commanded to shout and rejoice. I connect this. I, I know scripture teaches us that we only love because he first loved us. Amen. I only have the ability to love God because he loved me first. Sometimes I only have the ability to love you because he loved me first. In my own ability, I can't love people. I can't love my, as I'm talking about things, he tells us things we don't want to do. He tells us to love our enemies. I can't do that in my own strength. But as I remember that while I was yet still a sinner, Christ died for me. And I remind myself of how he loved me before I showed any acknowledgement to him. I take a deep breath. All right. The way you loved me, God, I'm going to love somebody else. Even if they show nothing in return but vitriol and hate towards me, I'm still going to love them. But there's something about this where we're commanded to rejoice. We're commanded to shout. It's not that God isn't rejoicing first. But can I say it this way? You won't experience his rejoicing over you you won't experience his dancing over you until you first shout and rejoice. Scripture says, draw near to him and he will draw near to you. Is it because God doesn't want to draw near to you? No, his arms are open wide. He's longing for you to draw near to him, but he's waiting for you to take the first step. Once you initiate the drawing near, he's running towards you. It's the same thing with this idea of him rejoicing over you, quieting you with his love, and dancing over you. You want to experience that? I'm telling you, I've only scratched the surface of experiencing God do that in my life. And it's overwhelming, and I become undone. I'm a mess. When I actually, when I tell you I'm God's favorite, that's where it came from. It came from a time of experiencing this God rejoicing over me and telling me how proud he is of me and seeing him go crazy in heaven, just a glimpse of that. I'm like, how could I not be his favorite? The way he celebrates me, I've got to be his favorite. And I'm saying that's available for you. I'm not saying that as a down put on you. I'm saying I want you to experience the same emotions, the same reality that you feel like, how could I not be God's favorite? He treats me with so much favor and kindness and mercy. It's ridiculous. If you aren't experiencing that, can I tell you, it's not God's fault. He's doing it in heaven and he wants you to encounter it. He wants you to experience it, but he's saying, would you do it first? Come shout about me. Come rejoice over me and I'll come and I'll rejoice over you. I love that this Palm Sunday isn't just a, re a reminder of what happened 2,000 years ago. It's actually a prophetic declaration of what we're going to be doing for all of eternity. 
In Revelation, it says this. Find it. In Revelation chapter 7, verse 9, it says this. After this, I saw a vast crowd, too great to count. This is John talking about what he sees in heaven. After this, I saw a vast crowd, too great to count, from every nation and tribe and people and language, standing in front of the throne and before the Lamb. They were clothed in white robes and held palm branches in their hands. And they were shouting with a great roar, salvation comes from our God who sits on the throne and from the Lamb. If you're uncomfortable holding a palm branch this morning, you're going to be uncomfortable for all of eternity. This is what John sees. He got a glimpse into heaven, a glimpse into the future. You and I, we get to wear white robes and we get to stand before the throne of God Almighty with palm branches in our hands and shout, salvation belongs to our God. Worthy is the lamb who was and is and is to come. I don't want to wait till I get to eternity to look at the person next to me. What am I supposed to do? I want to have so much practice here on earth that when I get to heaven, I want other people looking at Ryan. Oh, we can do that? I want to join Ryan too. The way Ryan's dancing, that's like crazy. But Jesus seems to like it. All right. I want to lead the procession. I want to be the head, not the tail. I don't want to be caught looking around. So for me, I have, I have an opportunity on Palm Sunday. I have this great privilege to practice. I might not be the best dancer in the room. I, I'm a slightly competitive, just slightly. But I'm okay this morning. I'm not going to look at anybody else if they're dancing better than me. I don't have the best voice in the room. I'm not comparing my voice to anybody else in the room. I'm dancing to Jesus. I'm shouting to my Savior. I'm going to express gratitude to who he is because he's worthy. So there is time. Pastor did it. We have time to take communion. We're going to take communion tonight in a solemn way. On Good Friday, we're going to take communion again in a way that's very serious and contemplative. But I feel like this morning, we're supposed to take communion in a way maybe that stretches you, that maybe is a little bit silly, but it's celebratory and it stimulates something in you. Don't be stuffy this morning. Don't be serious. Don't be self-absorbed wondering what people think about you. Get the fear of man off of you today. Would you allow the love and the joy of the Lord to cast off all fear? I am believing that chains are going to fall off today. And I'm not saying that about you people out there that you're all in bondage. I'm saying this to myself. That where I... I still think about what people think about me. I want that washed away. I want to be so full of celebration of who Jesus is that I couldn't care less if there's somebody else in the room or not. I'm dancing for Jesus. I'm shouting my love and my celebration for him. So I hope you feel challenged to be a little silly this morning. I hope you feel challenged to get out of your comfort zone. Because again, scripture says he calls you to do things you don't feel like doing. 
But it's Palm Sunday. And it's going to be Palm Sunday in eternity one day. And I'm going to be ready. So as we get the elements ready, Daniel and the worship team comes up. We're going to do it instead of passing out the elements. You get an opportunity to come up and get the elements. And you get the opportunity, no forcing, but you get the opportunity to get a little crazy. To express gratitude. And I'll bring in the elements of communion. As you think about the bread, think about Jesus' provision. Jesus' body that was broken for you, we're not going down a solemn heaviness. We're saying, no, Jesus provided a way for you to be forgiven. So all my sins are washed and I am cleansed and I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. He made a way where there seemed to be no way. Jesus made a way. He is the truth. He provides truth into my life. He provides truth that sets me free. He provides life. He's the way, the truth, the life. He provides life in my very lungs. He provides the blood that supplies it and pumping in my heart that I have the ability to walk and dance. He provides the air in my lungs that I can sing. He provides it also. I'm going to give him back what he's provided for me. The blood, I, this morning, it represents the power. He not only provided for us, but he also gives us his power, the authority to dance upon sickness, disease, the enemy. The enemy is to be under our feet. It's not a dance where we're like just dancing who Jesus is. We're actually dancing on the gates of hell. The gates of hell will not prevail against a dancing church, a church that is celebrating in small, silly celebrations, right? We're stimulating something. We're stimulating the joy of the Lord that gives us strength. There's power to overcome. So I could give you specifics, but I'm gonna leave it kind of open-ended. You celebrate. You stimulate your joy. You celebrate your rejoicing. You might need to do a little Irish jig down the aisle. You might need to hold your elements and twirl with them. You might, don't spill juice everywhere, but I don't know, figure it out. You may need to get your palm branch and wave it again. You might need to go around, do something different. Don't be stuck in the way you usually worship, in the way you normally take communion. Get a little rowdy. Get a little energetic, amen? So can I have you stand? Stand, get some blood flowing. I'll move the carts over here so you guys can, some, some order to our rowdiness. Can you come down the center aisle to get the elements and then go out back this way? Does that make sense? You're coming this way to get the elements. Go back to your seats that way. And you don't have to stay in your seats. You can grab palm branches. You can come up front. You can go back, whatever you want to do. But does that make sense what you're doing here this morning? Yeah. Amen. God, I thank you that you rule and reign, that you are my king, that there is joy in this house this morning. There's joy in this temple. Ryan's temple is going to be filled with the joy of the Lord this morning. I'm going to shout. I'm going to sing. I'm going to dance. I'm going to let you know, God, that I'm in love with you. A fresh love encounter is going to happen this morning. In Jesus' mighty name.